Tonight, on a very special Big Footy Grand Final podcast, we review the games from the preliminary finals, we talk about the latest in AFL news and events, and we preview the big match itself between Hawthorne and Fremantle on Saturday at the MCG. All this and more, coming right up. And the pain made us strong. <laughs> I know what's right. I know what's wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the grand final edition of the Big Footy Podcast. <laughs> and uh, I am, of course, the Wookiee. The sound you can hear in the background is a pile of idiots that have joined me tonight on the podcast. As usual, uh, with Messenger being the Hawthorne representative for the evening. Good evening, one and all. And his diametric opposite for the evening will be Seppo. Hey guys, how are you? And Seppo, of course, a Fremantle man. And uh, the neutral crew tonight, uh, ODN. Uh, you know it's grand final week when you hear when you see Mike Brady being uh, Mike. <laughs> Sorry, Mike Brady being thawed out. <laughs> and uh, rejo- what is going on? Rejoining us after a couple of weeks hiatus, just to calm down and get on the angry pills a little bit. Uh, prosecutors back. I am the Colts, hello, glad to be back. And so, uh, look, I thought we'd get underway with perhaps some highlights uh, from the weekend. Um, and obviously, I think Seppo's the one to start with here. Seppo, what do you got, mate? Oh, highlights from the weekend is obviously... Okay. Uh, and bear in mind, we're operating under a short time frame here, so... No worries. Well, <laughs> I've only got five minutes then to uh, talk about how good Frio's pressure was against Sydney. It's some of the best I've seen, and just that... Memorable moment from the game was just uh, the relentless forward pressure and the tackle upon tackle. And unfortunately, uh, BT 
destroyed the uh, commentary in that nice tap passage of play where I think Zach Clark and then Barlow and then Muzungu and then Ballantyne all jumped on one with a not double, not triple, but quadruple tackle. <laughs> that was my uh, memorable moment from the uh, prelim final. All right, Messenger, what was yours, mate? Oh, I had two, Wookie. I had two highlights. The first one was beating Geelong on a Friday night. And the second one was beating Geelong on Sunday to win the VFL Grand Final. Uh, so that's uh, that was uh, double double whammy on the, on the Cats. And just an interesting historical note: Michael Osborne, who, who's probably played his last game in brown and gold, uh, uh, was the only one on the field who played in both of Box Hill's VFL premierships, the 2002 and 2013 flag. So uh, nice little uh, way to bookend a career. Excellent. And uh, ODN, your highlights from the weekend? Oh, look, this you've got to love the romance of a team making the grand final for the first time. So, um, you know, it's good for Frio fans, Frio and Frio fans to feel, uh, to feel that. Um, and um, I'm a bit of a rat for, for Brian Lake, so I'm glad, that, uh, I'm glad that he's going to experience the grand final as well. So good on all of them. Yep. And uh, Prosecutor, you got any highlights? Yeah, um, I'll... Last uh, Monday night, the Brownlow medal count, I had a fantastic time uh, sitting there and cheering on Dane Swan. Uh, he, any uh, victory speech coming from him would have had to be aided by an interpreter or maybe a uh, wheelchair, but uh, it was compulsive viewing. I don't know if any of you uh, saw the sideshow that was Dane Swan and his missus, but uh, fair to say that... Uh, you know, the Rat Pack was out in full force on Monday night. Was Dane's missus part of the Rat Pack that night? She looked oh, like she had a couple. Oh. oh, I think she had a couple, all right. <laughs> oh, we, boy. We're venturing into unsavoury territory very early on. It, it's fair to say that the Brownlow is, is almost unwatchable television now. Exactly. Oh, it was, it was rather, a car crash would, effect with Dane Swan. I'd rather go to jail than watch the Brownlow. Yeah, I turn it on at ten thirty, and see who won, and then go to bed. It, it did well, come close to beating Big Brother in the ratings. Close, not close enough. But where seriously, where else can you see Aaron Edwards feeding Dustin Martin grapes? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Norm, normally, it's um, a different kind of food or biscuit, if you will. <laughs> Brownie, <laughs> settle down. All right, my highlight from the weekend. Uh, Probably um, the Frio guys showing uh, a touch of class when uh, the, uh, they clapped off Jude Bolton uh, in his last game, just at the end of the game there. I thought that was a very nice touch, and uh, given that they'd won and they had every right to celebrate, just uh, the lineup as uh, Bolton went off was uh, very impressive and very sportsmanlike, so kudos to the uh, Frio guys for that. Um, and also Ablett's, Ablett's Brownlow um, and the look on Eddie's face which must have been there. I didn't actually watch it because I can't I can't watch a Brownlow. It's just too tedious for me. But, uh, yeah. So, good, mm. good good week all round. But, yeah, I, th- I thought the Frio guys were very classy in uh, victory. Um, and that, that was uh, how you should show a good uh, long servant of the game off. Indeed. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, um, there's been a bit of news, just a little bit, uh, as we've discussed uh Ablett uh, winning his second Brownlow and everything like that, so we don't need to go go into that. Ken Hinckley was named uh, the AFL Coaches Association Coach of the Year on Tuesday night. Um, 
I don't think anyone can really argue with that, unless uh, Seppo's got an argument to make for uh, Ross Lyon over it. No, I'm happy with Hinkley. I think he deserves it. Um, although, in retrospect, maybe if Lyon does win the, the flag with us, I'd, I'd say he's probably a better coaching um, effort this year, but Hinkley def- definitely deserves it for getting port where they are their t- after their turnaround. Yep. Oh, I, I think it's one thing to take a good team and make them better, which is, the, I think, what Ross Lyon's done this year. But Port Adelaide were were pathetic last year. They were pathetic. And he's the turnaround, the improvement he's put into that list in, in 12 months is is um, nothing short of amazing. I mean, the next step up is much more difficult for them. But, but to get them from easy beats to finalists in... In twelve months is uh, is a pretty substantial um, body of work. I think, let's not forget this is a guy that was overlooked for so many coaching jobs as well. Mm. Like he was the second choice for everybody. Like he was the second choice at Gold Coast behind uh, Guy McKenna. He was overlooked for Carlton. He was overlooked at um, other clubs, including Port. You know, like, and, and 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 then to come in and take that club to where it went this year, I think it's a big, big, uh, big thing. So Here's a question. Who's the next second choice? Who's the next Ken Hinckley sitting out there? The guy who gets overlooked every now and then who, who should have a job. Alan Richardson. All right. Yeah, there's Alan Richardson. And I think uh, perhaps one interesting one, I reckon, is going to be Simon Goodwin. Because uh, he has been fantastic with Essendon, but now he's got that taint um, where apparently Brisbane were you know, very interested in him. But however, the recommendations from you know, the apparently key AFL industry insiders was that... Uh, Simon Goodwin was, yeah, tainted goods and shouldn't be associated with the role. So I think he'll join. Um, and then you've got Adam Simpson as well and Scott yeah. Burns. Yeah, Simpson's oh, been oh, touted And Sumich. Is it Peter, yeah. Su- Peter Sumich? I wouldn't yeah, rate him as a real sort of classy sort of coach. You'd actually want to come in and really do wonders at a club. He's a great assistant coach, but I'd put a lot of those other guys you've just mentioned as um, obviously prime candidates for the next Hinkley. The guys that come up every time there's a coaching appointment to be made are guys like Alan Richardson, Scott Burns, um, in particular, Adam Simpson in recent times. But, uh, yeah, and and with uh, there's only the West Coast job to be settled now, I think, so... I'm not yeah, sure. Right. The Essendon job, too, if you want to go down that route, but uh, uh, that's pretty well, much Mark Thompson's if he wants it, so... But, oh, I was under the impression that Mark Harvey was signed, sealed and delivered a few days ago. What's, what's going on there? Oh, who knows? Um, from what I understand, though, that Harvey still has one more interview to go. Uh, they were planning to announce on the Crichton Medal Night this coming Wednesday, mm. but uh, alas, um, Mark Thompson's reconsidered. I think so. Whether that's just a uh, you know a bit of red tape now and uh, announce him or not, we'll we'll have to see. Yeah. Not, I'm not I'm not entirely convinced on that, to be honest, though, with Mark Thompson. I just I don't want him to come back into the role if he's going to have to be persuaded into it. He's one of those he's one of those people that he, his heart's got to want to be in it if he's going to do it. And if the if he's had to be pressured into it, then I don't want him to do the job to be honest. But that's that's his judgment to call, and you know I'll I'll trust him to be able to make up his minds and not feel pressured to do it. So it's an interesting U-turn that that like where he just didn't want to do it and his heart wasn't in it, and, oh, it's all too hard, and and then all of a sudden he's going to put his hand up for it. Or, well, he's or, kind of gone He's kind of gone through those, you know, classic signs of, um, 
what is it, um, coming to accept your problem. You know, he's gone through the anger, he's gone through the denial. The seven stages of grief. Yeah, the seven stages. Um, he's, he's come to acceptance that, yeah, maybe I should do this. All mm. right. Uh, up in Brisbane, Justin Lepich has been named as a coach of the Brisbane Lions, <laughs> um, which was probably an outside chance, really. He wasn't really mentioned in anything. Well, Neil Craig was the name going around, wasn't it? Yeah, I reckon it's a down, down step from um, having Voss there. You, you'd think they'd have someone lined up to get rid of him. And the names that were thrown around before, like once it happened, uh, you think, oh, okay, fair enough, they're going to go and upgrade and get rid of Vossi. But to appoint him, I think it's almost a step down or an interim step. So I real feel sorry for um, Brisbane next year in terms of their coaching development. You've got to feel sorry for Voss as well, though. I mean... Mm. Here we go. They make a big song and dance about going out and uh, targeting someone in particular. And what they end up doing is getting one of his old teammates who, um, you know, who's untried as well. It's a bit like, well, I don't know. They, 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 they stuffed it up. And they stuffed it up and then they had to make it palatable by bringing in somebody that the Brisbane fans would like. Simple as More that. or less, yeah. I, don't, I, I, I stand by the fact that I just don't believe Michael Voss's record really justified giving him another long-term contract. Oh, uh, definitely. I agree. Yeah. And so really, I mean, you can argue about whether they got rid of Voss because they thought they could get Ruse or whether they literally just said, well, we're not going to give you a contract next year. And then they went out for the best candidate they could get. And I think it's a bit overblown, the whole, uh, they've been mean to Vossy sort of thing. He just... He, you know, he, they basically treaded water for, I don't, I don't think for three or four years. I don't think they're getting flack for treating Vossi mean so much as they are for not having anyone ready uh, yeah. afterwards. So, like, they they basically tried to do a Carlton, but without the Malthouse guy waiting. Like, Carlton had all the, you know, for one of the, you know, for all the uh, charades and stuff that went on last year, they obviously had Malthouse lined up from the word go. Um, and that's how you offload a favourite son. You know, you have a guy ready who's going to take take the attention off that whereas when you offload a guy like Voss who it probably infinitely means more to Brisbane than Ratton did at Carlton you've got to have the big name to take over and they didn't have that name they never had yeah. the name I, I, I disagree I, I just think that um, that you make the decision on him re- regardless of who the replacement might be and then you pick the best guy now yes he's a favourite son but I actually think that shows some maturity for a football club to be able to say Okay, he's a favourite son, but he's not doing his job. I str- but did, I, I suspect- did they have a process? Did, did who else did they interview? I don't know who they've interviewed. Well, I mean, we, we don't. We're not hearing about it, so it does suggest that that, that Leppage has been airlifted into that position just to just because the board's under a bit of se- under siege and uh, just to try to placate the members. That's what it seems like. Uh, there was a few candidates who were mentioned who had an interview. Um, obviously, obviously Lepage, but uh, I know Simon Goodwin had one. Uh, I think was it Tudor had one and Simpson. Uh, Neil Craig did. He was considered up until a few days ago to be the um, the likely successor until oh, um, Lepage took over. So there's been there's uh, there's been a few, but it does this whole process though does seem like one giant cock up, especially like especially. The way they announced it too, to try and slip it in under the Essendon's, uh, was it the Essendon charges or is it the sanctions that they slipped it in under? Uh, the day the charges were announced, I think. 
or the day the sanctions were announced. One yeah, the, the sanction. It might have been the sanctions, but um, you know, to slip it in like that, and they did it the night of their gala, which was, you know, it's those their biggest off-field uh, social night of the year. So it was just poorly handled, and it screamed of you know just trying to chuck it in um, while the news cycle was full on and. I think it's a testament to Angus. Is it Angus Johnson? Yeah, he's not. He's yeah. not very popular at Brisbane at the moment. Ah, oh, he's he's going to be welcome back there for years and years. And and you people say that James Heard is deluded. Well, um, last time I checked, mediation talks were still ongoing, and he can't see the um, he can't just see the light that it's just not going to work out for him. Who's this? Who's it? Who's uh, Angus Grant? Angus Johnson. Um, Angus, Grant. Angus Johnson and the current Brisbane board. Uh, are in mediation with the AFL and the commission over the um, the rival ticket that with Lee Matthews on it that wants to take over, and they've got enough. Sync- they've already accumulated uh, twice as much as required for an EGM from memory. Yep. But um, Angus Johnson is still you know um, kicking the heels in and hanging on for dear life. And Andrew Demetrio uh, has expressed his support for Matthews as well. Which is big. The AFL's also said it won't get it won't give the Lions its grant, like well, its extra grant to cover its losses this year, which are expected to be pretty big. A lot we're talking like Melbourne size big, and uh, yeah, they won't get that grant if uh, there's no unity on the Lions board. So, and then not to me- not to mention that, but they've also got um, the young players who are kind of leaving on Exodus. Uh, from memory, it was the first two picks of 2010 and 11 who have all um, signalled their intent to be traded home. I'm not sure they'll they... miss Jared Pollock, but Billy Longer, if they can... There's talk that Billy Longer's wants to get shopped into, back down to Victoria, and um, he's two years in the system, and um, he's probably another couple of years from being a real player, but he, he's a he's a goer. I think Pollock's probably a bust, but... Didn't they have Carnesis and um, Doherty or Car- someone as well? Yep, or... yep. and uh, Elliot Yell or whatever it is. Um, yep. Yeah, all good players. Um, well, I think Car- Carnesis is a, is a slightly wealthy man's uh, Patrick Best Premier. I'm not that keen on Carnesis, but um, I think Longer's the prize out of that group of guys. Yep, and uh, last on my list of things, uh, the AFL has uh, announced that if there's a draw on the weekend, that there will be a replay. And it will be the week after, and it will be a Twilight game, apparently. Oh, please, please don't let there be a bloody replay. I, I so. don't think, after last bloody Friday night, not to mention the fact that I'm going broke here. How about you, Seppo? you going broke? Well, it's not me that I'm worried about, because I'm based in Melbourne, but I would absolutely feel for all the uh, um, supporters that have travelled and absolutely forked out not to get a result on the day. But you know what the good thing is? With the um, 2010 drawn grand final, the second one was less corporate and more fans. So depending on the result, and oh, you never know. Um, some people might be happy to get to the second one. But uh, yeah, I suppose it all depends on the timing and what can be organised in between and how many flights they'd put on at a short period of time. You'd have to oh. think it would be the end of the replay if it happened. If they basically disenfranchise tens of thousands of Docker supporters, it'd have to be the end of the replay. I don't think so. I think the AFL's fairly fixed on this. There's only so many Docker fuckers you can arrange. <laughs> <laughs> and to be honest, I wouldn't be against um, seeing how this Twilight Grand Final plays out. Uh, 
I'm not necessarily suggesting that it should become a full-time thing, but I think uh, if it is a draw and the um, the Twilight Grand Final does come about, I think it I think it's pretty obvious though that the AFL will look to sort of bring that in more full-time. I think it's definitely a test of the waters. Yeah. But then again, it, it, it's all conditional on there being a replay in the first place. So, you know. Mm. All right, we're going to move into uh, the games on the weekend. Uh, but first, we might have a quick break. And ladies and gentlemen, we're back and we're talking about the preliminary final wraps from the weekend. And so first up, we're going to look at the Hawthorne and Geelong game very briefly with uh, Messenger, having eliminated the losers from the podcast this week. So, sorry, SJ. But uh, on the weekend, uh, Hawthorne 14-18-102 defeated Geelong 15-7-97. That's quite a goal discrepancy there. But at some point... Where am I? Goals for Hawthorne. Uh, Gunson kicked four. Burgoyne kicked three. Hale, Hill, two apiece. Uh, Guerra, Bruce and Franklin all kicked one. Geelong uh, goal kickers. Johnson kicked four. Motlock kicked two. Chris Denson, Hawkins, Vardy, Bartell, Selwood, Guthrie, Taylor, Murdoch and Caddy. One apiece. The best for Hawthorne. Mitchell, Burgoyne, Gunston, Hale, Birchall, Guerra and Hill. And for Geelong, Johnson, Motlop, Guthrie, Selwood, Taylor, Stokes, and Duncan. Uh, for uh, injury-wise, Whitecross did his knee for Hawthorne. Uh, 85,569 people watched this game at the MCG Messenger. How did it? Uh, how did the game come about? They did, and might I say that all those people, the, the missing 5,000 were not the MCC members. The MCC members were full. This was heart-in-the-mouth stuff. I think it took uh, reduced the life expectancy of the vast majority of Hawthorne supporters who were there. Um, this was a case of uh, Hawthorne nearly shooting themselves in the foot with bad kicking. They uh, had a 20-point deficit at three-quarter time, kicked four goals eight, and Geelong only had two scoring shots in that last term, and they just fell over the line in the end. But um, really, 12 months ago, they probably would have blown that one completely and from 20 points down. So... I think if we can say anything about Hawthorne is that they've, they're have resilient. Jack Gunston was excellent. He's having a very, very good final series, and uh, he's going to be a very interesting matchup on Saturday. 
Uh, Roughhead and Brewster probably concerns. They were very, very quiet, and Brewster's kicking radar has gone way off. Uh, another guy who's having a terrific final series is David Hale. He's been very good in the two finals we've played. But um, this was just a, a real bun fight from one end to the other. Um, really hard-hitting game, a lot of tackling, but the Hawthorne moved the ball well. Um, and uh, to coin the phrase of the moment, lowered their eyes and, uh, and hit a number of targets inside forward 50. All right. All right. Yeah, uh, Mess, I, last year I did a feature article for one of my university assignments and I spoke to you and I spoke to a couple other people about um, the effect that the Hawthorne-Geelong rivalry of recent years has actually had on a Hawthorne uh, perspective. How is it to actually break what is the Kenneth curse? How does it feel? How does it feel? It... It's not nearly as uh, as uh, I always imagined it would be a euphoric moment. I think we were relieved more than anything. I mean, I I was uh, in the uh, the pocket where Geelong were kicking to in the last quarter, and uh, I actually ducked my head. I couldn't watch that Varco ball sail through because I figured he he dobbed it. But um, to get over the line, I don't know if we were happier about being in the grand final or happier about being Geelong, but. But right now, I, I feel like it's we've done it, and uh, but it's not that sort of feeling of amazement I'd already I'd always thought we'd have after five years. Sean Burgoyne uh, was was uh, well, him and Mitchell were probably best on ground for the Hawks, and um, yeah. and those uh, in Hawthorne's late surge, Burgoyne was involved. Uh, his forward pressure was fantastic. He was uh, yeah. he basically created the goals for Gunston and Hill and King mm-hmm. One himself. Um, he's uh, he, he's really he's really stepping up. He probably hasn't been the player for Hawthorne I thought he would be, or the player that he was at Port. But um, um, he's certainly you know going great guns at the moment. He is, and and I think the thing with Burgoyne is he's probably done had that Port form in little bits and pieces, but we haven't ever seen four quarters of of Sean Burgoyne in the Rolls Royce. We probably get glimpses of it, but he's. He spent a lot of time being injured. He came, I mean, he came to the club on crutches essentially, and spent eighteen months getting right. So he, he's coming into form at the right time. And just one other note on Sam Mitchell: that that performance of thirty-seven touches, eleven clearances, that was one for the ages on Friday night. That was that was right from the top shelf of Sam Mitchell. And it seems a shame that he hasn't got a brown lung. And they they talk about Selwood, and they talk about. Uh, Swan and Pendlebury. Well, Sam Mitchell's in that in that same sentence, and uh, he, he gets overlooked a little bit. But my God, that Friday night performance was staggering, staggeringly good. I must say, I was so impressed with uh, Mitchell's performance. I was watching that game, and the thing that Mitchell stood out for me the most was the way he showed a bit of composure. And like you mentioned before, I think it was the third or fourth quarter when it was just frenetic football. Everyone was just kicking. No one was. Um, sort of taking that extra split second. I don't know if he was just you know bending time, the, what he was doing with the ball, and just sort of just taking that extra split second. You could see it on the TV. Mitchell would just deliver the perfect passes out of congestion that uh, I thought was quite impressive. And um, I don't know if that's going to attract the uh, Crowley tag, but um, it's it certainly was the difference, and I think he was the driving force to actually getting Hawks over the line. Well, I don't think there's any 
question that he's going to get Crowley on Saturday. I, I think that's an absolute given. He's just a painted a target right on his back the way you performed. Pretty much, yeah. Well, I think I heard uh, Mark McClure say that Mitchell was um, probably a touch better than Greg Williams um, on the weekend. So that was uh, high praise indeed. <laughs> There, well, his CV is not quite in the Williams category. He doesn't have either Brownlow, but um, he's a he's a four times best and fairest winner in a in an era where Hawthorne's. I mean, essentially, he's been the best player and one of the best teams in the league. Oh, he'll win it again this year, won't he? Oh yeah, he'll win it again. He'll he'll get his fifth. He's um, mostly his internal competition will be Roughhead and Gibson. Um, but he will he'll, he'll get a fifth this year. I don't think there's any question of that either. I, I also wanted to spare a thought for Brendan Whitecross, second ACL, he's going to miss another grand final. And um, he did the last one in the qualifying final in 2012. Um, he's a it's a terrible shame, and he we've had a, a terrible run with ACLs. We've had Alex Woodward, who's re- having from his second, Max Bailey's had three, uh, and we've had Ryan Showmakers missed oh, almost all the season. Matt Suckling did miss the entire season with an ACL. But, but um, Whitecross was back pretty quick. He, he was a nine-month turnaround on his first one. It was the same. It was his repaired ligament that went again this time, so I don't know whether Lars is on the card. Hawthorne never used the Lars surgery before, but um, he's a... The interesting thing was he came back and he got straight back in the best 22 and he was never a question um, about him being on the fringes. Uh, the monkey's off the back. Uh, yeah. I, I, think it, I think it frees Hawthorne up a bit. I think some. I think there's a case to say, oh, they've played their grand final and that'll be it. I think it frees them up. I think it, it says, you know, we can do it. And um, I think we'll, we'll see that on Saturday. Was the extra week off uh, telling in the end? Yeah, I think so. I think it always is. I think history says it is. And you saw what happened with Sydney over in Perth on Saturday. They looked like they were on their knees after 10 minutes. And um, I think the week off at that point in the season always makes a massive difference. I suppose the downside for Geelong is they didn't have uh, Chapman out of there. And um, I think he could have made a big difference. It's obviously helped Geelong along because he's finals player. So they obviously He could have. But Steve Johnson played a brilliant game. He, I mean, they, we wondered who the hell was playing on him for the first half. He was very, very good. So um, they just didn't get that many opportunities. They, they really didn't um, down there. And um, I'm not sure the inside 50 count was pretty lopsided, if I recall correctly. But um, they were, um, yeah, it was, uh, Steve Johnson was very, very good. One thing that impressed me as well is uh, young Bradley Hill, um, brother of Stephen, was that first, I think it was the first quarter, he was uh, looked like he was getting bullied and targeted by uh, James Kelly and some of the other Geelong senior blokes. But the way he just stood up, I think he earned himself a couple of frees and won a lot of his own ball. I know he's an outside player, but it was um, good to see him stand up and actually take those hits and play really well. Well, it might have been me who was suggesting he should be dropped um, for Cyril Rioli last week. Um, and I think the knock on Hill has always been that because he's light framed, he's probably not really suited to the heavy, the heavy, the heavy contact inside game that Hawthorne play a lot of, and, and they come up against against teams like Geelong, and they will against Fremantle on Saturday. But that was he was very very good, and um, 
Uh, I, I was uh, pleasantly surprised at how well he played on Friday night. I, I think he's uh, he's really come along as a footballer, and it is interestingly the first grand final in a hundred years in which two brothers will play against each other. Mm. Oh. It's going to be a great match up the hill, brothers. Indeed. For this, when the siren sounds, the purple haze. They won't need a bus or a plane. They'll walk. They'll ride. They'll hitchhike. Do what they can to get there. It's going to be some sort of night in Perth tonight. And they are going to go absolutely berserk. Sandilands. An opportunity here. Smith gathers. Looking for their first ever grand final. Fremantle will play Hawthorne in the grand final. Siren sounds. 25 points. Okay, guys, we're going to move on to the other game from the weekend, uh, which was, of course, the Frio game uh, versus Sydney. And this game was played at Patterson Stadium, uh, where Fremantle 14-15-99 defeated the Sydney Swans 11-8-74. Fremantle's goals came from Walters, who kicked three, Pavlich, Fife, and Subin kicked two apiece. Crowley, Duffield, Neal, Barlow, and Ballantyne all chipped in with one. For the Swans, Rowan kicked two. Cunningham kicked two, Jeddah, Parker, Bolton, McGlynn, Pike, Hatterbury and McVeigh all kicked one apiece. In the best for Fremantle, Mundy, Fife, Crowley, Walters, Duffield and Mzungu. For the Swans, McVeigh, Kennedy, Parker, Malcheski, McGlynn and Mumford. Uh, Fremantle's injuries included apparently a cut head on Spur. I don't imagine that will have been all that dramatic. And Johnson, who did a calf, and Pierce did a shin. Although Fremantle note there will be no uh, no real injury problems for this weekend, and for the Sydney Swans, uh, McGlynn apparently cut his head. Forty three thousand two hundred forty nine people, the second largest crowd Fremantle has ever played in front of. Watched this game at Patterson Stadium on the weekend, and uh, how did it all go down, Seppo? Well, I took myself off to a pub in uh, Carlton to watch this game along with 100 other Freo supporters. I was surprised at how many people rocked up to this pub to watch the game and um, I went in there full of confidence knowing um, the way that Sydney performed against Carlton. They just looked like they were running out of legs and it was only going to be a matter of time before Freo blew them off the park. Um, But the scoring shots obviously looked pretty dangerous for us not being able to capitalise in that first quarter kicking 2-9, and it was a bit of a worry whenever Sydney went forward, they seemed to get on the board, so obviously we stopped that soon once um, we actually started converting. It was interesting to see um, the scoring shots all missing to the right-hand side, and it looked like, because they were kicking to the lower end of the stadium, I think the two-tier side, once the second quarter came around, they were kicking to the protected side, they just started to hit the scoreboard or seemed to move the ball more freely in there and take less set shots, so um, it was great Great pressure, probably the best pressure I've ever seen. Um, I know during the media this week it's been compared to the you know the Collingwood pressure of 2000 and uh, probably 10 or 11 or whenever they were at their peak and Saints have um, Ross Lyons similar time and I think it's some of the best pressure I've ever seen. The way it was just locked in Sydney's for it's just lambs to the slaughter. They just couldn't get through it. And it was exciting football to watch. And I don't know how many people bag on about Freo being boring to watch and Ross Lyons dour 
game of uh, footy, but um, certainly wasn't there. And from a Frio fan, the added excitement of the uh, result um, just made the game so much more enjoyable than I've ever watched a Frio game in my life. And um, just the way you could see the players mentally conserving their energy in the last and letting you know Swans back into the game, we could have blown them off the park. And you know we, we were nearly up by sixty points in the last uh, quarter, and then for, to let Swans get some real cheap ones. Um, and finish the margin off around 25 points was uh, no big worry. So uh, I'm glad that we sort of got through, minus the small little cuts and knocks and bruises. It looks like we've uh, got through pretty fine, full list available. Uh, Seppo, was that a, that second quarter was uh, something to... It was really a quarter that you sat back uh, as a neutral in any case and just it was sat in amazement at what was the Fremantle football in full effect. Uh how does that rank as one of the best cores of football you've watched as a Fremantle supporter with that knowledge that you were going that would likely be the catalyst for you going on to your maiden grand final? Yeah, obviously that's... I wasn't confident until I really saw those. I think we clicked five goals, one or two or something in that second quarter, but it's how we actually scored them was just showing when, they, you know, when, when it counts, we can definitely turn it on. And um, it was just something, like I said, it was probably the best game and that second quarter was... Almost the best footy I've I've ever seen as a, a fan of footy, and it's just great to obviously not be able to witness it live, but to watch that um, I think puts most fans um, with a lot of confidence into us to be able to take it up to the Hawks. I, I I watched on on Saturday, and I think it's in the second quarter. I think some bricks were being shat um, at that stage. Though, though it was a very impressive performance, really was quite staggeringly good. Um, the Swans, I guess, without wishing to put a damper on it, the Swans looked like they really, it was a bridge too far for the Swans, wasn't it? They they came in undermanned and, and they were pretty much on their knees inside 15 minutes, weren't they? Yeah, they definitely were. You could tell they were tired, um, but really, even though they had, they had stars out there, um, I think it's you know really good that we did dominate. Like they, I'm not sure if they got. I think there were one or two inside fifties for that second quarter, and only put two points. I think on the scoreboard. So yeah, and they came really late. The way we just dominated, I've never seen it before. And you know, there's a lot of stats that we've sort of you know how we beat Geelong. You know, winning those hitouts. Um, I think we won them. You know, fifty to sixteen. We've won the hitouts again in this game, fifty-three to thirty. So um, it's definitely that middle midfield battle that I thought that Sydney had a strength in that they could have channeled just with, you know, O'Keefe, Hanabry, yeah. all those guys, they really just, you know, there's no reason why they couldn't play well. We just dominated them right from that middle onset. How, what, when you're watching, what, what's the signal to you that these guys are absolutely on song? What, what are the things that you look at and go, ah, today's our day? I really think it's, it's that midfield um, the chemistry between Sandlands and Clark and just, it, it's almost winning that centre clearance. If Fife and Mundy and Barlow are streaming away from the midfield, I can just tell we're on. There's a lot of games, and I think where we struggled against Hawks um, earlier in the year down in Tassie, you know, it was just hitting the ball, you know, struggling to get clean first use and hitting to the opposition and winning the hitouts, but not winning hitouts to advantage. That's when I know things are problem but obviously when we get you know first use and we're streaming out and all running forward it's um i know we're on 
Um, I didn't watch the whole game, Seppo, but I, when I the, the bits that I was watching, I saw Chris Main uh, getting back in defence to help out a few times, and I noticed he's had the highest tackle count he's ever had in his career. Um, Thirteen tackles in that game. Um, what what role was he was he playing for? You? Um, he's been playing that role all year. I actually heard some um, interview with him earlier on, and he was asked a question: Would you prefer to, you know? take five ca- tackles or kick two goals, and he said five tackles. So um, he's a ty- type of player that just loves that um, defensive, that manic-like pressure and, and loves doing the team thing rather than the uh, glory of kicking goals. So um, he's a very unselfish player, Maine. He's one of my favourite. And uh, on, a, on a personal note for you, Seppo, this is new ground for you. It's grand final week and you've got a horse in the race. How have you found it? I mean, how have you found grand final week as a Fremantle fan? Obviously, the build-up was there even before this game. I suppose there's a lot of Freo fans getting ahead of themselves. Obviously, a lot of excitement on the board, you know, just talking about, you know, grand final, the ticketing, that it's the first time um, going through this whole process of, you know, the nervous energy. And this this week is... um, yeah, just been one hell of an exciting ride, and I just can't wait for um, Saturday to come around. I can't believe it's only Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. All right. I guess it's uh, time to move on to the uh, the grand final preview, um, which we will do uh, shortly after this break. Well, you put a lot in and you worked real hard. There were days when you tried. There were days when you start to appease the crowd when they're unforgiving. There are easier ways to make a living. Well, we've come a long way since the start of things. When we've seen the joy that hard work brings. You've made us cry. You've made us smile. You've hit the front. Now it's all worthwhile.
and we're back from uh, yet another break. And we're going to be talking about, the well, the big match, the grand final between Hawthorne and Fremantle. This will be played on Saturday at 2.30pm at the MCG, where all good grand finals have been played. Uh, yes, I'm overlooking the 91 grand final messenger. Too bad Bastard. for you. Bastard. <laughs> uh, uh, in their last five meetings, Hawthorne have only played Fremantle once at the MCG. Uh, in round 11, 2011, Hawthorne 17-9-1-11 defeated Fremantle 13-11-89. Um, most other games have been played at Aurora or Patterson Stadium. I'm surprised the uh, grand final wasn't relocated to Aurora to give uh, Hawks the uh, home advantage just like a, they seem to be doing to Fremantle all year. Just just a little bit of bitterness creeping in Jeez there. Jeez, you have got the you have got the jammiest run in the media. I had to turn on the radio. I couldn't even work out who Fremantle were playing in the grand final. There is a lot. <laughs> there is a lot of love for Frio this year, and I think we're fed up with seeing the same teams play off in the grand final and win stuff. And I think there's a lot of people around that are going. If someone has to win the grand final, and it's not my team, it may as well be Frio. Well, Hawthorne are absolutely wearing the black hat this week. Where the uh, it's uh, everybody wants to write about the fairy tale, and fair enough, it would be. Uh, a fairy tale if it occurs, but uh, yeah, I haven't seen Hawthorne written off this uh, comprehensively in the week leading up to a grand final in quite a while. So uh, it would be it's uh, it's very interesting, interesting take. A lot of a uh, lot of uh, people leaping on the Dockers bandwagon very late. Jared Healy's quite pleased. The mm. AFL website brings up a couple of points, as it always does. Uh, the Haw- Hawks have dominated uh, the Dockers recently, as we've established, uh, three wins by more than fifty points. Um, but Hawthorne held an overall 20-7 to head-to-head advantage over Fremantle. It's a grand final, though, and strange things happen. Uh, Hawthorne is shooting for its 11th VFL-AFL Premiership in its 17th grand final. Uh, Hawthorne have won four of its last, fang- uh, last five grand finals, dating back to 1988, and have reached consecutive Premiership deciders for the first time since 1988, whereas Fremantle will be playing in its first grand final in 19 years. Uh, should Fremantle win, Pavlich will have played in a premiership in his 291st senior game, the third longest wait in VFL-AFL history behind Shane Crawford and Paul Williams at Collingwood. Uh, Shane Crawford's wait was 305 games, apparently. Who knew? Mm. So there was a bit of a drought there for Hawthorne somewhere along the line. Regardless of the result, uh, Sanderlands will become the tallest player ever to play in a grand final. Well, that's the important thing, and that's and that's that's what the AFL website does. It provides the critical information. Um, <laughs> Hawthorne have far more grand final experience than Fremantle. I don't even know why they've even bothered to bring that point up. Uh, Twenty three Hawthorne players have played in at least one grand final, with ten having played in two or more. The Dockers have only two players who have played in a grand final: Dawson, who played in three with St Kilda, and uh, Daniel Pearce, who played in Port Adelaide's two thousand and seven loss. Uh, or as they call it over here, the not grand final. <laughs> I'm um, sure Daniel doesn't go around talking about his grand final experience. Both, <laughs> both yeah. I've played in a grand final before. We got anyway. Uh, both both, <laughs> both uh, Clarkson and Lyon will be coaching in their third grand finals. So interesting stuff. Also interesting uh, during the week. Uh, Fremantle apparently chose to play in the white strip rather than the purple one. Seppo, what's going on there? Yeah, well, it looks like the AFL approached Frio and said there's going to be a clash with purple shorts and purple top. Um, they gave them a choice saying you're going to have to wear the white shorts and you can either wear your purple top with the white shorts, which we have done on a couple of occasions this year, 
or go the full white strip. And they were the one that actually chose to go the full white strip um, rather than the purple top, which is something I don't mind. It's going to be the uh, first time a, a side's played in a full away white strip, I believe. Um, but, I, you know, initially I didn't get the whole clash, you know, with you know purple and brown. You look at all the photos they've had on the preview sites, you know, Franklin against Pavlich, and there's definitely no clash there. Um, but the only downside is when you're looking at the shorts of brown and purple, um, if it was like a muddy game, really hard to see. Um, I suppose a good con- contrast um, is required. And the only interesting fact will be at the end of the game, you know, if Frio do win, um, will there be a change of strip? Will they get into their f- full purple kit for the photos? And, or will they just do it all in white? It would be uh, quite interesting. Well, I mean, it could be worse in times past, and you can ask St Kilda fans about this, but uh, they used to swap jumpers with the other club at the end of the game, and so St Kilda's 1966 Premiership sides all wearing Collingwood jumpers for their uh, Premiership photos. It's one of the stupidest traditions I've ever heard of. Well, it it is. Is, it, I think that we inherited it from like, English soccer or something because uh, it was quite widespread up until about 1980, and then all of a sudden it just stopped. <laughs> like, they still do it through European football to this day, swap shirts at the end of games. You see it through the World Cup and everything, everyone swapping shirts over. But I think it's a great thing that Hawks get to wear their brown shorts because they're certainly going to need to uh, cover up the stains once they start to crap themselves under the Frio pressure. The weather forecast for Saturday, a minimum of 10, maximum of 16 showers and possible morning storm. Uh, so cloudy, scattered showers, isolated thunderstorms and hail clearing by early afternoon. Uh, a little bit of wind about the place. So it's going to be a wet day, fellas. And uh, look, we'll hand it over to the neutral guys to uh, discuss first and then we'll get... Uh, you, I'll give you guys five minutes each to make your case. Uh, prosecutor, yeah, how, well, how are you seeing the game? It really is the um, irresistible force and the immovable object here, and it's going to be a fascinating encounter. Uh, it's There is that bit of excitement to see Fremantle. Um, you know, as you said before, um, it can be... It can get rather stale when you've got the same sort of... Uh, quartet of Collingwood, Sydney, Hawthorne and Geelong competing in grand finals. So I'm I'm really interested to see how Fremantle come out and attack the contest because there was that bit of apprehension going into the Fremantle-Sydney preliminary final that Fremantle might not be uh, ready for the pressures that are a preliminary final, the home one at that anyway. And they well and truly blew away any of those doubts. So... I'm very interested to see uh, how Fremantle do go about it um, and how Hawthorne go about it as well because um, there was a bit of a, a bit of a sense that Hawthorne, that all year that Hawthorne's grand final was going to be Geelong. Now, obviously, Fremantle interrupted those plans, but um, Hawthorne did just conquer that demon and you just, you just wonder if um, maybe Hawthorne has uh, truly is prepared themselves all year for facing Geelong in the grand final and maybe whether maybe they left it all in the field last week and how they actually pull up this week. ODN? Yeah. Um, Hawthorne have won their last three games against Fremantle by uh, 42, 56, 51. Frio haven't kicked a goal in the first quarter of e- of any of those games, so it's really, really important that um, they settle the nerves very quickly. And um, because you know, we know Hawthorne are battle hardened and finals experienced, so 
it's important for Frio to to sort of overcome that and try to hold Hawthorne early. Um, I, I note the last time they played, um, Hawthorne absolutely smashed Frio in, in uncontested possessions. It was at York Park, granted, um, and uh, Birchall, Birchall had 37 disposals. Um, a lot of most of those are uncontested. Um, so, you know, it's, it's unlike Frio to let teams, you know, get a run on them like that. Um, and I, I, it's going to be interesting on the wider MCG to see whether Frio can can block the space that will stop Hawthorne from getting those getting those little chip kicks in and, and working their way up the field um, as as accurately as they usually do. Um, seeing roughheads, you know, there's a bit a little bit made during the week about roughhead sort of. Um, not really getting amongst the goals, and in, in, I think he got three goals he's kicked in his last five finals. Um, so you know, I don't. Rather than think that Roughhead's somebody will go missing, I think he's due. Um, I'm, 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 I'm thinking that um, Roughhead and Franklin will be will be playing forward with um, with Hale and Bailey doing all the ruck work, and I hope we don't see we don't have to see Ruffy in the in the ruck at all. Um, Frio, uh, they won their last eight of eight of nine since Sanderlands came back, and they're smashing everybody in the ruck. And that 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 game they lost was obviously the um, their reserve side playing against St Kilda. So impressive late form. So you don't know what what, what to read into that into that uh, round four encounter and the previous encounters they've had with Hawthorne because it, uh, Frio are a completely different side now. You know, I think they fell over the line in some games early in the season, or just missed out, like against Essendon, um, and they look it looked a bit scrappy. But gee, they 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 look a far cry from that side once Sanderlands and McFarlane came back into that side. Um, Hawthorne have more forward options. Uh, I think they have, have greater flexibility up forward at least. So, if if if, um, if Dawson, McFarlane, Johnson are, are sort of are handling. Ruffy and uh, and Franklin, um, they have that option of sort of of, of Gunston, Hale, um, Burgoyne, you know, running through there. They can go tall, short, you know, faster, or you know, it depends. And, it, and it's it, they can change it up according to the conditions and, and the circumstances of the match. So um, Frio's defence is going to have its work cut out for them, um, and. Um, I think I think you know Hawthorne. Well, you know they're minor premiers for a reason, and I think um, having having a real genuine fullback uh, in Brian Lake back there certainly, you know, defence was considered a little bit of an Achilles heel or potential Achilles heel heel for them in the past, but um, they look a lot a lot more stable. Um, Frio do do bat deeper in the midfield, um, so I had concerns. There, but but Hawthorne had more what I would term uh, elite or cream players. So uh, it's it, it's sort of like you know Frio Frio's momentum versus Hawthorne's um, uh, experience and um, and battle hardness and um, you know I, I've flip flopped on this game all week, so I'm not I'm really not sure what to think. All right, we're going to get into uh, the two guys that are actually got vested interest this weekend. We'll start with Messenger, um, and how is uh, what's the Hawthorne perspective on the game this weekend? I guess when we talk about the irresistible force and the immovable object, I think it's worth pointing out that Hawthorne's 
defence is actually the fifth best in the league this year, and and uh, there's certainly it's certainly no uh, turnstile back there. Um, the form line between the two teams is really patchy, and we we Hawthorne and Fremantle are a, a, a one date a year type uh, type arrangement, and um, the last time we played, Fremantle were missing pretty much most of their tall timber. Uh, Lake hadn't played a game for Hawthorne yet. It was actually the game that Ryan Showmakers went down with his ACL early on in the piece, and uh, Brent Guerra didn't play that day either, which is reasonably significant. Um, this is, again, going to be about holding holding possession, being able to overlap and disrupt that disrupt that tackle pressure that Fremantle generates and, again, creating options in, in the forward line, keep rotating around and hopefully getting Dawson in particular but also McFarlane in, into some positions that they're not entirely comfortable with. And, and the question will be how they choose to deal with Buddy because Buddy has been playing... He played quite high against Geelong, whether they have McFarlane run around with him and whether he's got the fitness level to go to go with Buddy. And and uh, which would mean that Dawson would get rough head in the square, and then again it's a question of how um, Gunston standing up and Bruce, who's having an absolutely shocking, shocking season with his kicking. He's he's a fifty-fifty proposition at best in front of goals, um, and how how he deals with it. So, look, twenty twelve was about missed opportunities and wasted chances, and I think this group appreciate it and I think they know their window is very short and I, and I think the the mental side of things I don't think is going to be an issue it's going to be one of execution and and one of playing their game and not allowing Fremantle to uh, to squeeze them out Seppo? Yeah well um, looking from a Freo point of view obviously you can write off all sort of previous head-to-head games against these two sides, but it's what Frio can bring and what they've, what Ross has done with his team and the way they've just shaped them up to be able to play finals footy. You just hear Ross constantly talking about, you know, it's the season that actually counts and starts from week one of the finals. Obviously, we've had some um, losses during the year, but the way that we've just timed our run, it leads me to feel a lot confident with Sandlands getting form at the right time, Pavlich coming back in, um, McFarlane and, and our All-Australian defender, Michael Johnson, back into the side and them taking it easy at the end of last week means that we can actually face Hawthorne with a fully fit squad that's absolutely primed, which we have not been able to do for um, forever, for all I can remember, all, all of our uh, games against Hawthorne. So um, the interesting thing will be for me and the way this game will work might even come down to these conditions because... The thing that presses me about Hawthorne and the way they can actually hurt us is with the elite kicking skills that they do possess through the midfield um, and actually right through all the lines. But it's um, predicted for a couple of showers and um, if it's hitting right when the you know the ball, if it, you know, the drainage is not going to be a problem in the MCG, but if it's greasy conditions and we can put the pressure on and force some of those guys, that, you know, the, the worst five out in the ground for Hawks to start turning it over, that's going to help Freo go a long way. Um, and just the, the dominance, like I mentioned before, when Freo are playing well, they're winning those centre clearances and Sanderlands and Clark are just dominating. And I know a lot of work has been, um, you know, talked around how good Sanderlands is, but I think this year Clark, for mine, is 
uh, one of our most improved, and he's had to step up, you know, with Kepler Bradley and John Griffin going down. We've had our own injury issues like the Hawks have had early season and had to shuffle some um, players around and get games to our youngsters this year. So it's great knowing, though, that we've um, exposed our list. We've got some young guys in there like um, Sutcliffe and Lockie Neal that um, will surprise a few that haven't re- watched too many Freo games. These are guys second year on the list that can really contribute and they just, um, um, yeah, I think we'll be able to handle the pressure. Um, but I think it will all come down to the skills and, and which side actually takes takes their chances in front of goals. I can't see Frio winning the game if we start with, you know, two goals, nine again, like uh, we did against Sydney. I think we've when we push forward, we've got to get on the scoreboard. And you just look at Hawks last year in their grand final. Um, you know, they didn't take the chances when they um, had the chance to hit the scoreboard. Frio can't afford to do the same. All right. So thanks for that, guys. Who is uh, going to win then, in our opinion? I mean, obviously... Messenger and uh, uh, Seppo are going to vote for their respective sides, but who do we think is going to win, Prosecutor and Odeon? Well, I'm, I'm sensing a bit of uh, deja vu from last year with uh, the the red-hot favourite in Hawthorne going down to a uh, rather unexpected side in the grand final. I think Fremantle, as uh, Seppo alluded to, have really uh, hit the straps at the right time and there's that sense of maybe a perfect storm. And I think it'd be great for football too, so I'm going to go with uh, Fremantle by uh, 12 points. ODN? Yeah, as I said, I've I've flip-flopped on this game all week and and I was getting a little bit carried away with the the Fremantle fairy tale. the end of the Hawthorne-Geelong game really, really affected me, really swayed me because I, there was no way I saw Hawthorne getting out of that, especially against Geelong, who who had the wood over them. Uh, I was impressed with how composed they were and how they shut the game down once they got in front. And it just it just reminded me of the, of the silk that they have in that side. Um, and, the, you know, the elite players, um, you know, Hodge and Mitchell and Rioli and and Lake and Ruffy and Franklin and they, they just they free I do have the game that will do have a game that will worry them but um, Hawthorne don't exactly haven't exactly been quelled by Fremantle's game in the past um, I, I just I think I'm, I'm just going to say look they're minor premiers for a reason and um, and they have something to prove so I'll I'll, I'll say Hawthorne's going to get up um, by about fifteen points. I, I still believe that this is this game is as big a candidate for a draw as any we've ever seen. Um, I, I think the game is going to be inordinately close. I think Frio's game style lends itself to uh, to shutting down opponents quite easily, and they can. They, I mean, they proved against Sydney that they can uh, they can uh, not let them score basically in the last in the last closing minutes of the game. And if that if it comes down to that. Uh, Hawthorne might well find themselves uh, a little bit screwed at the end. I don't think there's any coming back from behind to that point. Um, I don't want to be one of those clowns that chips the draw, though, so I think Frio are going to win. I think it's purple all the way this year. Um, And I'm tipping probably around seven points total. So... I find it... um, I find it intriguing that in grand finals... Apart from the odd outlier or two, like 2008, it's typically um, 
defense that comes to the floor as opposed to the offense that you might see throughout the year. Um, so I reckon it might lend itself more to Fremantle as well in that aspect, um, that if Fremantle can you know, uh, suffocate Hawthorne and bring this score down, uh, I think that's going to go a long way to helping Fremantle win their maiden premiership. Yeah, I, I fully agree. Fully agree. All right, guys. Well, uh, who's your uh, tips for the Norm Smith? I would personally, I've thrown money down on Fife as soon as the odd comes <coughs> up. He was paying twenty six dollars, so I think Fife's the type of player for Freya that will uh, stand up there on the day when it counts and attract the uh, the the guys doing the uh, votes for for the Norm Smith. Twenty six dollars. Shit, I'm all over that. Twenty six dollars. It's shortened that. right up now. Fife's now into yeah. about seven or eight dollars. So. I jumped on really early. He's the type of player that will be uh, key for us in final. I think Sam Mitchell in a losing side will uh, win the Norm. They don't give Norm Smith to... Nathan Buckley stopped that. They don't give Norm Smith to losing teams anymore. Didn't Judd get one? 2005? Yes. I think it was when Buckley got his in... He got his in 2002, was it? And pretty much threw it across the field when he got it. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think it'll stop him doing it. I think I think Mitchell will get it in a losing side. Uh, I, I, I think I'm if gonna... Mitchell's, I'd say if Mitchell's best on ground, Hawthorne have probably won the game. Yeah, yeah. So who's who's Crowley going to go to? Mitchell's going. He's going to get Mitchell for sure. Yeah, no worries. Um, look, I, I'm going to I'm going to state something fairly obvious. If if Luke Hodge isn't right up there in the voting for the Norm Smith, then he's probably dead. <laughs> he only has to take the field though when um there's always a loving with Luke Hodge and he just magically gets all this attention anyway. He doesn't even need to perform that outstanding. He just it's part of the legend and that is look, Luke Hodge. I've 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 had a go at Luke Hodge for being a you know a match review panel favourite and stuff this year, but. He is he is a genuinely classy player, but he he's as tough as anybody I've seen. So, um, you know, uh, he, he would match he would match uh, Lee Matthews for toughness. No, I just, no. uh, when I say the when I say the Luke Hodge legend, I mean as in the fact that he's got that similar sort of um, uh, aura that Jonathan Brown has, whereby. Even, and you know, an ordinary act by any other player gets uh, multiplied by about two or three uh, when Jonathan Brown does it. Like if you know, if he's taken a contested mark or whatever, it just it gets elevated and all that sort of stuff. And I guess Luke Hodge is the midfielder slash halfback equivalent of Jonathan Brown. What about the goal scoring options at either end, like Pavlich and Franklin and Roughhead, for that matter? Well, the guy. I mean, I think. Well, Franklin really, I mean, he's got a lot of inside 50s. I think he had six or seven inside 50s on Friday night. But the guy who's kicked most of the goals has been Jack Gunston. So I guess the question then is, how do Fremantle use Mzungu on Gunston or do they, because he'll play high and so you'll need somebody who can run. And, and we talked last week about whether Geelong went with a, a running type guy on Gunston or whether they went with a body player. And they ultimately went with Rivers and, and, he, and he pants Rivers. So I wonder whether Mzungu's probably the guy to go with Gunston. But they've um, Hawthorne have 
mostly spread it out this year. It was a little bit narrower on Friday night. They only had a few goal kickers, but they get a lot more goals from the midfield than they than they ever used to. Uh, Seppo, how important is uh, Chris Mayne going to be for a winning score to be kicked? Um, obviously, like he uh, for the tackling pressure he provides, he's um, gets keep on talking up as a, you know the gun straight shooter, and he's been off his game. I think the last few games, commentators uh, put the moz on him, and he's he's not that much of a crucial goal kicker. Um, I think it's more more or less the turnovers and the marks and bringing the ball down to guys like Walters and um, Ballers that I think our if those two smalls. Uh, um, hitting the scoreboard, that's when I know we're doing well. Maine doesn't need to hit the scoreboard for us to um, go a long way to winning, so he, he's more the team player. It's not going to be like um, Gunston will be for Hawks in terms of the equivalent, like the third tall or the guy that sort of plays high up the field. Yeah. Um, Ballantyne's probably uh, one of the main pre-mental players that... that, that motivates them, gets them, inspires them, gets them up and about and and can and really shift the momentum in a game. Um, who would generally play on him, Messenger? Oh, on Ballantyne. Well, I don't think he gets a tag, though, really, does he? So whether he... I mean, Ballantyne tends to... He plays like cross half forward, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Birchall's probably a little tall for him, and I think Birchall may get um, may get Maine, and I'm thinking that probably uh, Walters will get Brent Guerra. So it might be one of the guys rolling back who'll get Ballantyne. It might be somebody like uh, Brad Hill or Isaac Smith who might roll back and get him. Um, but it'll be interesting to see whether they use Ballantyne and try and get into their heads a little bit and get in the heads of one of the running guys and... Uh, whether they use him more as a, a more as a stopper or a, something to shake the tree a little bit in the midfield, mm. you know, probably Seppo see... might have a better idea. Of my, no, you, might you're pretty much spot on there. Guerra, I'd reckon, would go to Walters, who's more of our permanent crumbing forward that seems to sit there. Ballantyne does like the runs through the midfield and onto the wing and play a bit higher up. So I'm not sure if that will lend itself to Birchall or one of the other guys. But I'll probably see Smith and Mzungu being a match up on the wing. Obviously, good two way runners and. Um, they obviously cover both of them a lot of Ks in the game. I'd love to see Stephen, Stephen Hill and Bradley Hill match up um, on either wing um, opposed to each other. It would be great to see them. You know, like the great commentary of uh, what Bruce done last year with, um, was it Rioli and, Rioli and Jetta, I think. I'd love to yeah. see a, a classic bit of commentary with the two Hill brothers chasing each other down. I think it will be uh, nice for the highlights package to see that match-up happen. Mm. All right, Who's, Sorry, just who's who's the lucky player to get a to get a grand final berth at the expense of White Cross? Um, there's been a, a couple of, I, I, yeah, it's. I guess the the consensus is there are three choices there. Shane Savage has done has had a very good uh, VFL form since he's been down there. He had a exceptionally good preliminary final. He kicked five goals in that prelim against Werribee. Um, Jed Anderson is the guy who got tipped out of the prelim uh, in favour of Sil Rioli, so you'd have to think that he's perhaps first cab on the rank to come back. But the other guy who really put his hand up from the grand final on Sunday was Jonathan Simkin, and he was uh, best on ground in the grand final win against his old team. Uh, and he is a hard-running, good ball user, 
good head on uh, on young shoulders type of player, and he might be the smoky who makes the team as a sub. But um, I, my my money is on. I have a feeling they're going to lean towards Savage. I, I think maybe they think Anderson's a little young, but um, Savage is the sort of guy. My only concern about Savage is the sort of guy who needs to start. He tends not to make an impact as a sub. I, I personally hope they choose Simkin because I think he's the he's the guy. He gets on and he's a, he's instant impact when he gets on as a sub. Mm. So do you think it'll just be the one change then for? Hawks messenger because Freer will probably go in unchanged and might just split the sub between one of the youngsters with uh, Lockie Neal or Cam Sutcliffe. Oh, I don't see them making any other changes. Look, the guy who, if there was anybody who needed to be worried about their place in the team, it's Luke Bruce, in ter- just in terms of his actual goal kicking production. But he is doing enough in terms of the setups and and goal assists and and. Forward fifties and and the and the forward pressure to, to probably keep his spot and I think Alistair Clarkson's history has been um, he backs the guys he's had all year I don't see him getting dropped I don't think you'll see any surprises I think it'll just be somebody to replace White Cross I guess um, the other thing I was interested in too Seppo is how have you found with the the way teams have played. I mean, Clark's the guy I'm more worried about in some respects than Sandlin because Clark's the guy who's going to be actually able to generate space because he's a better runner than either Hale or Bailey. I'm wondering, how have you seen teams deal with those guys in the past? Have they gone tall with them the whole way through or have they sort of really played that sort of small sub out the big for the small late in the game? It's interesting to see if um, during the game they do sub out um, Bailey again for probably the 1,000th time this year. Um, I know that Clark can do really mobile athletic things around the ground. If he does have a slow lumbering Ruckman trying to play on him, he tends to burn him off and does tract a, a smaller opponent. But Clark, if he can get the delivery, he can be very damaging in the air as well as um, around the centre clearances. Um, obviously, his follow-up work is second to none. Once he's jumped up for the Ruck tap, he's down there chasing and even working on the clearances. so And, and he's a great runner. Um, obviously, you don't get that from Sandlands because he's obviously his first use is, is his best attribute. But Clark around the ground, I'd back him in against the um, likely rough, um, opponents of Hale and, and Bailey. And even I, rough it if it eventuates. My, my suspicion is that they, they will sub Bailey out. Um, and then I think you'll probably see rough head match up with Clark because Ruffhead is basically plays as a ruck rover when he goes in. He's he's equally good on the ground. The issue will then be Hale having to go with Sandilands in the last. And Hale is really not a, a number one ruckman. He's a number two ruck, and and really he's there because he can go forward late and uh, he'll do twenty percent of the ruck work in the first three quarters, and, and he'll do every hit out in the last term. So that's that's the issue. But I I don't see them, particularly as they do it for run as a general rule, I don't see them uh, not subbing Bailey out unless there's an injury. Okay, guys, we've got to move on very quickly. Um, <clears throat> and your, what are you expecting, or what are you looking forward to the most this weekend? Um, messenger? Um, I'm... I don't know if you look forward to anything when you're waiting to go to a grand final. I think it's that it's probably only just hit me now that it's on its way. I mean, it's uh, 
early in the week you don't really think about it, but um, I I believe in these guys and they're they're not um, they've had a, a really good season and I think they can they can uh, take premiership number eleven. Um, there's a a certain low key uh, feel to this build up for the club and um, I, I'm looking forward to singing the song at the end. What about you, Seppo? Well, the uh, thing I'm looking forward to most is rocking up to the MCG on Saturday for my first uh, grand final with my team and taking my regular spot right behind the goals in row A of the cheer squad and leading our Purple Army and just being loud and having a good time, um, obviously, for the first time. And I tell you what, if we win it, I will be going absolutely nuts. So I uh, really hope that the uh, team can put in and and um, deliver the goods for all the thousands and thousands of fans travelling across this one. And, uh, Prosecutor, what are you looking forward to this weekend? Well, um, always on these big occasions, such as Anzac Day and finals, uh, there's nothing that gets uh, the hairs on the back of the neck uh, rising, like uh, the roar at the end of the uh, national anthem and that sense of inevitability that the big day was just about to start. And, as always, I, I'm looking forward to that uh, that moment. Yep. Uh, I'm looking forward to humble winners and gracious losers on the big footy boards. Really? <laughs> well, I can always hope, can't I? I'm looking, I'm looking forward to big footy shutting down again. <laughs> oh. I, I, I look forward to, uh, yes, having to moderate the Hawthorne board. Um, only, it'll, only require, it'll only require moderation uh, if there's one result, but... Um, Oh dear, I think you just give it a few hours and you go and lick your wounds if you need to and then you mop up later, but um, yes, we're all gracious at Hawthorne, very gracious. I, 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 well, we're happy to. <laughs> no, I, I love the grand final, but um, I look forward to next footy season, that's that's what I look forward to. Can't, I hate this off-season rubbish, it, it, it annoys me, full of cricket and other gay sports. Oh, you're not going to do a you, you're not going to do a trade podcast, a trade week podcast. Oh no, no, we'll we'll be we'll be back next week for uh, a review of the grand final, obviously, and we'll, you know, Seppo and Messenger will both be back for that, hopefully. And then, <laughs> hopefully. Oh no, no, I tell you what, I'll be here, win, lose, or draw. It's a grand final, so you know we're going to do a fair review. Um, so um, hopefully we'll get you guys both back, and then after that, um, we'll probably have some sort of season review and other stuff but we'll probably keep going right up until, well, part of trade week anyway. Apparently it's a trade month or something this year, so uh, I don't think we'll run for the whole thing, but uh, you never know, because, you know, family men like yourself and ODN need you need time to uh, have a break and perhaps yeah, a, step, a step back from your fame for, you know... Well, to see my kids, what's their face and, and who's he what's it? You know, pretend, you know <laughs> pretend like you care about them for a little while. <laughs> this small person yes why do you smell of feces oh <laughs> no I, 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 so no we will be having a break but uh we'll at least um we'll, we'll cover the grand final we'll probably have a season review and look at the uh trade prospects coming up and then we'll break until trade week so there's that coming indeed all right, so uh, we'll sign off and uh, well, good night to uh, and good luck to uh, both of you, uh, Seppo and Messenger. Thank you. 
Yeah, no worries. Thanks for the best yeah. wishes. I mean, yeah, and have a, have a good day, Seppo. Enjoy, enjoy it, oh. mate. You too. And when I say Don't good, be a sore loser. And when I say good yeah, luck... Yeah, you either. And, and when I say good luck, I don't really care who wins. It's uh, it's much of a muchness for me. Well, it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's not Collingwood or Essendon. No, no. So. It's, it's, oh, well, we all know Essendon was the moral winners anyway, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, good night saying, to you, prosecutor. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> Might not be the ethical winners, but uh, who's counting that? Hey, good night to you, prosecutor. Thanks for coming on again, mate. No worries. Cheers. And good night, uh, ODN. See you tomorrow night. Yeah, see you guys. All right. And good night from me. I'm the Wookiee, and it's been a great season. We'll see you next week. Use my legs. Use my voice. Make some noise. Support the boys. And that's what football means to me. That's how I like.